Julian Strother closed the door on his Gonzaga playing career while transfer portal target Grant Nelson did withdraw from the NBA draft. Could the North Dakota State star be Spokane bound to help replace Strother? Let's discuss. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Well, Grant Nelson withdrew from the NBA draft and is still available in the transfer portal. We're going to discuss his recruitment and if the Zags are in contention to land him. We're also going to discuss Bonnie Ejim, who is named the Canada Player of the Week for her performance with the Senior Women's National Team. Before we get to all that, though, Julian Strother becomes the first Zag besides Drew Timmy to make it official that he is staying in the NBA draft process. Hopefully, for Zag fans, he is the last player to make that announcement. But as we're recording this at 7 p.m. on Tuesday evening, neither Anton Watson or Malachi Smith have made an announcement about their intentions going forward. By the time you're listening to this, perhaps we'll have had that announcement. Thursday's episode will cover whatever decision those two players make. But since we're still waiting, we're going to talk about Julian Strother, And look, this shouldn't be a surprise. I'm sure there are people out there, some of you who are new listeners, some of you who may even be everyday listeners who were holding out hope, had some optimism perhaps that Julian Strother, especially after not testing exceptionally well during the measurement portion of the NBA Draft Combine and also choosing for whatever reason to not participate in the scrimmages of the NBA Draft Combine. I think there was a little bit of movement for people who were thinking, hey, maybe this means he's planning to come back to school It never felt likely. Julian never really hid his intentions to go professional after this season. Uh, And while he never outright said it until very recently, it was never really felt like returning was really an option for him. He had made the decision that last year was his final year of college basketball and that he was going to try his hand at the NBA draft. And I don't blame him because even without participating in the combine, even with, uh, again, some measurement testing numbers that were a little below what you would have expected him to produce. Um, He's kind of a lock to be a second round pick. It's hard to, and mock drafts are not always accurate. And every year there are players who are showing up in mock drafts who don't end up getting selected. So I don't want to certainly don't want to jinx anything. I'll knock on wood here to be safe, but Julian feels like a pretty secure second round pick. I have talked about him as being a, a, the kind of player I would want to take as a contending team towards the end of the first round. And while I still believe that he carries that kind of immediately playable talent that you want from a player in that range, most of the projections have him between 40 and 50. And I think that seems likely where he's going to end up. This is a really deep draft class. And I think a player of Julian Strother's talent and pedigree normally would be a late first, maybe early second round conversation. But this year, there's just a lot of players kind of in that mold, in that kind of area. I mean, you're looking at two other guys in the WCC, Brandon Pajemski and Maxwell Lewis, who are both kind of 
in that late first round conversation. And right now it looks like both of them may end up going before Strother in the NBA draft. Whether you agree with that or not is another question. And we will do more intentional, specific, deeper dives into Julian Strother as an NBA draft prospect because we got all of June to talk about this. That is the big talking point in the month of June. Once we know what's going on with Watson and Smith, once the roster comes a little bit more into focus, we're going to talk a lot about the NBA draft. We're going to talk about Strother. We're going to talk about Drew Timmy. If either Malachi Smith or Anton Watson stay in that process, we'll talk about them. If they don't, we'll of course uh, talk about just focus mostly on Strother and Timmy, but the, the NBA path for Julian Strother is very obvious He's six foot seven. He's got the right size to be a modern NBA wing. His three point shooting is spectacular. He averaged 15 and a half points per game last year. He's a great rebounder. That is something that I've seen show up on his uh, mock drafts when people are discussing him, evaluating him. They talk a lot about that. And for good reason, we all remember how good of a rebounder Julian Strother was. And that's a skill that translates to the NBA, being able to go get a board, go chase down an offensive rebound for your team, clean up the defensive glass, get your team out in transition. Like those are skills that translate in the NBA. And and we saw with Joel Eiai, of course, he hasn't quite kind of gotten his footprint stuck in the NBA, but he's put up really big numbers in the G League. And some of the best numbers that Joel has posted as a G Leaguer are on the rebounding side. And Strother's he's got more size than Joel. Uh, he's got really good rebounding ability, and that outside shooting just really stepped up in a significant way last year, just over 40% on the season. He was a bit streaky at times, but his his ability to shoot off the dribble and catch and shoot, like he was a, a three-point shooter that wasn't just specialized to catch and shoot threes only or only being able to shoot off the dribble. He could do a little bit of both. Uh, He could shoot from the corner. He could shoot from the top of the key. He could shoot from the wing. He had one of the best floaters in all of college basketball, 93rd percentile per synergy sports uh, in terms of that floater for him. So one of the best shots literally in college hoops last year. And a guy that, you know, there's some questions about what he's going to bring on the defensive end of the floor. And certainly the, the testing numbers, the lateral mobility was one of the things that he didn't test particularly well at. Wingspan was good, but it wasn't elite. So there are still some questions there. And I think, you look at the NBA right now, and one of the most coveted archetypes for a player is a 3 and D wing. Julian Strother has the first part of that down, but it's the second part that's kind of the question. If he can prove that he can be a not just fine or average NBA defender, but above average NBA defender, which is not easy to do. If he can get there and be a guy who shoots 37, 38, 40% from deep, Suddenly you're a guy who plays 15 to 20 minutes per night and you have a 10 plus year NBA career. If teams were convinced that he could do that, if teams knew that that was who he was, who he was, he wouldn't last till the forties. He would be a first round pick, but because there's questions about what he brings on the defensive end of the floor and whether the athleticism translates to him being a a above average athlete, or at least average athlete in the NBA, that's kind of where I think his stock is a little bit murkier, a little bit more in that second round of, hey, we'll take a flyer on him because if the athleticism ticks up, he's suddenly a guy that is going to make our front office look really smart if we drafted him 47th and he plays 10 years in the NBA. That's the kind of guy that I think Julian Strother is right now. Uh, and I, I think there's plenty of optimism that he will be a guy who who lasts in the NBA, but he's still got some work to do in that regard. In terms of how to replace Strother on the Gonzaga roster, we've talked about this extensively. Everyday listeners know that we've been looking for a long time at what next year's roster is going to look like. The most obvious answer for replacing Julian right now is Steel Venters. 
Steel Venter is the transfer from Eastern Washington. He's six foot seven. He's kind of a big guard wing. He was a 40 plus percent three point shooter at Eastern Washington, averaged about 15 points per game. That is pretty much Julian Strother in a nutshell. I do not think that Steel Venters is a perfect replacement for Julian Strother. I don't think he is as good of a defensive player, even though I kind of just talked about Julian's shortcomings there. He was a fine college defensive player. I think Venters is going to have to prove it on that end of the floor. I don't think he's as balanced of a scorer. Strother had that floater game, more of an ability to get to the basket. Venters is going to have to prove that. I think he's more of a a standstill shooter, more of a catch-and-shoot guy than maybe – Julian had a little bit more in his bag offensively than I think Venters does. And that's mostly a compliment to Julian and less of an insult to Venters. But I do think that that is an area for Gonzaga where you replace Strother's minutes with Venters and you get some of the same production, but you are still missing certain things. Of course, adding Ryan Nembhard to this team changes the dynamic in a very significant way. And losing Drew Timmy changes the dynamic in an even more significant way. So this team is just going to look different. They're going to be a little bit more run and gun, a little bit more tempo, a little bit more out in transition, uh, side described ball screen actions, less predicated on getting the ball in the post and then just getting out of the way, something that Julian took some time to adapt to and then figured out how to be really good at. Venters isn't going to have to do that because that's not necessarily how this offense is going to be run, at least not by my projections right now. We'll see if Anton Watson comes back. That changes the equation a little bit, but by and large, I think this team is going to be um, run in such a different way that trying to find a direct replacement for Strother is just not really the way for us to look about it. But it's not just going to fall on Venters. I think that Yo is going to be a huge part of this. Yo and Tui, two of the new guys coming in, they're both kind of three, four hybrids. Uh, Yo, of course, from South Korea. Tui is from Australia. And I think that they're both guys who could benefit from Strother not deciding to come back. They could play a little bit more minutes. It's a little unclear exactly what their role is going to be. Yo is a guy that some are projecting him to play 25, 30 minutes per night next year and be like the dude. I think that's possible. I would like to see it before I know for sure if that's going to be something that he's capable of doing. But we have to remember, he's not a 18-year-old starry-eyed freshman. He's 21, might be 22 by the time the season starts. I don't know his exact birthday, but he is an older guy who is going to be a little bit more equipped physically from a maturation standpoint to play at this level. Now, adjusting to being in the United States and being in a new offense and the language barrier and all that stuff, those are things that I'm not privy to, that I'm not sure where he's at. It took Rui a couple of years coming from Japan. I don't know how long it'll take Yo coming from South Korea. He has some international playing experience already under his belt, but I think Yo and Venters are the players that are the most to keep an eye on when looking at how is Gonzaga going to replace Julian Strother on next year's roster, but there are alternative options as well. The transfer portal is not over. There are still players out there. Now, of course, Gonzaga's number of scholarships is going to be be determined, excuse me, by what happens in the next 48 hours with Malachi Smith and Anton Watson. But if the Zags end up with roster spots and they're looking to make some additions, one of the biggest additions they could possibly make just withdrew from the NBA draft. That is North Dakota State's Grant Nelson. He's back on the radar, more coming up on him and what he could bring to this team, sort of as a replacement for Strother, but sort of just as another really impactful offensive and defensive player for Mark Few's team. We're going to talk more about him after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Grand Slams, no-hitters, and double plays are back, and there is no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet 
of up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you do not win. Maybe you Zag fans want to bet on Marco Gonzalez to get a win for the Mariners, or perhaps you want to bet on Eli Morgan to get a save for the Cleveland Guardians. Either way, don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, folks, I want to thank every single one of you for making Locked on Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. Special shout out to those of you who are everyday listeners as well. Coming up this week, you all know it's coming up this week. We're talking Anton Watson and Malachi Smith. We are just a few hours out, as many of you are listening to this, to determining whether those two guys are going to come back to Gonzaga or stay in the NBA draft professional ranks process. We're going to talk about that on Thursday's show. We're going to continue to talk about what it means for the roster. We're going to continue to look at transfer portal updates going into June. We're also going to talk about the Gonzaga to the Big 12 rumors. They're heating back up. What does this mean for Mark Few's team? What does this mean for Gonzaga as a university as a whole? Could Gonzaga and UConn form a powerhouse basketball conference in the Big 12? We'll cover all of that on a later date as well. For now, though, I want to talk about Grant Nelson. Because Grant Nelson, when he entered the transfer portal in May, and again, you everyday listeners, we talked about Grant Nelson multiple times on Locked on Zag. There's a whole episode dedicated to him. You can go find that in your feed. Most of the information is still up to date. But the big question when Nelson entered the, the transfer portal was whether he was even going to actually transfer. Because he, like many other players who entered the, the transfer portal, also declared for the NBA draft. And a handful of those players are just now deciding to withdraw from the NBA draft process, which kind of means that their part of the transfer portal season is just starting. And Nelson admitted this when he was asked about it at the combine. He basically said, hey, I haven't really even started considering what schools I might go to because I'm locked in on the NBA draft process. And I respect that. I get it. Your goal is to play professional basketball at the NBA. Why would you spend time where you're trying to promote yourself, you're trying to work out and, and showcase the best version of yourself as a basketball player, you don't need to spend time thinking about, well, what is my backup plan? What am I going to do if this doesn't work? Just go out there and do the dang best that you can in front of those scouts, in, in those scrimmages, at those measurement tests, and then make a decision after that. And that's what Nelson ultimately did. He decided, hey, I do want to come back to school. He probably did not get the feedback that he was looking for, which I am not super surprised by. Grant Nelson put up really big numbers at North Dakota State last year. 17.9 points per game, nine and a half boards, 2.1 assists, 1.7 blocks. He shot 60% on two-pointers. He did only shoot 27% from three, though. And the Summit League competition was just not that great. And I think that that's what is kind of holding him back. He's He doesn't appear from his measurements and his testing, as well as just from the eye test, to be an elite high-level athlete. And a lot of his dominance in the Summit League for North Dakota State was probably related to the caliber of opponent that he was playing. And so for him, NBA scouts were probably like, hey, we're, we're, we're not sure what you bring at this level against this caliber of opponent. Go play at a high major program. Go play somewhere else and show us that you can do that. Because if you go down and play at Arkansas or Gonzaga or Florida State or Kentucky or any of those programs that are interested in him, and you shoot 35% from three, and your, your athleticism doesn't appear to be a hindrance, and you're still a rim protector, and you're still doing those things that, that make you a coveted, valuable 
asset in the NBA, all of a sudden you're going to be drafted. This year, you probably wouldn't have been drafted. He could have fought his way through a two-way contract. G League maybe ended up making the NBA that way. But you come back to school, you make a couple hundred thousand dollars playing somewhere uh, on the big stage. You're a huge addition for some high major program. And then all of a sudden you go out and you play as well or better than you did at North Dakota State. Suddenly your draft stock takes a boost. And that's, I think, what ultimately led Nelson to make the decision that he made. And now he's got another really big decision ahead of him. Because choosing to pull out of the NBA draft is already a hard decision, but it doesn't get any easier now because now you got to pick which of these high-level programs is going to be the place that Grant Nelson dons a uniform for next year. We mentioned a few of the schools that have shown interest in him. Kentucky. I have to imagine Kentucky is really involved at this point because their offseason has not gone according to plan. Hunter Dickinson did not commit to the Wildcats. Oscar Shibway is still in the draft process as I'm recording this podcast. Antonio Reeves still in the draft process. CJ Frederick transferred. They lose Case and Wallace to the NBA draft. Chris Livingston to the NBA as well. Like this is a team that lost most of their talent from last year's roster. Adding a player like Grant Nelson would be monumental for helping Calipari and his team get back on track. Florida State is another team that has reached out and showed some interest. Miami, uh, that is a really, really nice fit for him. They have a really tremendous guard group uh, on that team with Nigel Pack coming back to school, with Wuga Poplar taking on a bigger role. Uh, the Canes are going to be really good once again under Jim Laranega. Uh, Arkansas, this is kind of the most obvious fit for Grant Nelson. The Hogs have added so many guards in the transfer portal process, but they have not added a, a, a big-time big up to this point, adding Grant Nelson to the group of guards that this team has, especially if they get somebody like Jordan Walsh back, that's going to make Eric Musselman's team potentially a top five preseason team and a legitimate national championship contender. Nelson is that kind of player. Can he compete in the SEC? We'll see. We'll see. That's what would be the question that would have to be answered. But if he can play up at that level, and look, Baylor Shireman came out of the Summit League last year. He played at South Dakota State. He transferred to Creighton. Guess what? His numbers didn't take much of a hit at all at Creighton. So I think that making this assumption or, or, or having this fear, like certainly you have to see it. You have to see a player prove that they can play up at the next level. This applies to even like Steel Venters at Gonzaga. But most of the time they can't. Most of the time it, it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't present a huge problem. Some, sometimes guys aren't quite as effective, which is not surprising. Uh, but for Grant Nelson, like a move from the Summit League to the SEC is a big one. And if he does go to Arkansas, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to really prove right away that he can do that. And then, of course, there's Gonzaga. And the Gonzaga fit is interesting to me because we've heard that the program has reached out to him, but we don't really know the extent of their interest level, whether it's Nelson who's more interested in Gonzaga, whether it's Gonzaga more interested in Nelson. I just don't have a lot of intel on that. And certainly Nelson withdrawing from the NBA draft is something that, as I'm recording, this is only a few hours old in terms of information. So we'll probably find out more as it goes on. But Nelson, and he's not as good as this. I don't want to make this direct comparison, but there are Chet Holmgren comparisons in the sense that Grant Nelson plays the five on defense. He is a rim protector. He plays under the basket. That is his defensive home, but he's not necessarily a five on offense. And that's how the comparison to Chet Holmgren comes up because Holmgren didn't really play the five on offense. Drew Timmy played the five. Holmgren played the four. Sometimes he kind of played the three. Like he was just that versatile to play different roles. Nelson would be Gonzaga's rim protector if he were to come to Gonzaga. That is the role that he would take on because there is nobody else in that role. 
Graham E.K., not a rim protector. Anton Watson, not a rim protector. Far more valuable as a perimeter defensive player should he return. Ben Gregg, I think, is going to develop into more of a rim protector, but I'm not sure he's there yet. Maybe he steps into that role more so next year, but he's undersized to be a team's primary rim protector. He's just not big enough to do that. Caden Perry, Braden Huff, I don't know enough about Braden Huff as a defensive player to know if that's a role he could step into. Caden Perry, the health is just a huge question mark for him. So if Nelson were to show up, guy who averaged just under two blocks per game last year, that's your rim protector. Where his role is on offense, much more difficult. I laid out multiple starting lineups that I think you could see if Grant Nelson were to commit to Gonzaga. The first one, Ryan Nemhard, Steel Venters, Grant Nelson, Anton Watson, Graham E.K. This team is huge. Huge. Steel Venters is 6'7". He's your two. Grant Nelson is 6'11". Graham, uh, Anton Watson, Graham E.K. are both 6'9". So your second shortest guy is 6'7". <laughs> that would be a huge lineup. You'd have Nolan Hickman coming off the bench. You would have Yo coming off the bench. You'd have Ben Gregg coming off the bench in that situation as well. But there are a ton of other starting lineups that could happen here. You could go Nemhard, Hickman, Venters, Watson, Nelson. That would have Ben Gregg and Graham E.K. coming off the bench, as well as Dusty Stromer. Nemhard, Hickman, Yo, Nelson, Watson. That's a really big one as well. Like There are so many options. Because Grant Nelson can play the three, the four, and the five on offense because he's more of a five defensively, it creates a lot of different matchups. For Gonzaga, Nelson's 27% three-point shooting last year is going to be a question mark. We've talked a lot on this show about the what I've called the Ryan Woolridge effect where players who come from a program where they were the opposing team's focal like primary target defensively to going to a situation at Gonzaga where he would not be the opposing team's biggest issue to to defend he's going to get more open looks he's has better teammates around him more open threes if grant nelson was in gonzaga's offense next year i almost guarantee you he would shoot better than 27 percent, probably better than 30 percent, maybe better than 32 33 percent. and that's the kind of bump that if grant nelson were to come to gonzaga play in a more high high profile high octane high tempo offense get more open looks from three knock them down and still look like a capable defensive player on the rim Suddenly he's draftable. Suddenly he is a second round pick, a lock to be a second round pick. He plays well enough. Suddenly he's in the first round conversation. I don't know that Gonzaga is going to be the most appealing option for Grant Nelson because they don't have a lot of guaranteed playing time in the front court. He would certainly play. He would certainly start. He's that talented, but it's not as easy to see the fit unless Anton Watson doesn't come back, which as we're recording this right now, no announcement has been made, of course, but the the odds have continued to be in the favor of Anton Watson returning. If he doesn't return, then Grant Nelson, it's it's much more obvious to see the fit for him in Spokane. If, if Watson does come back, they could still add Nelson. It just creates a little bit more of a, a roster crunch in a way that I'm sure Mark Few would be happy to have to deal with it, but it would create some, some questionable lineup decisions that Mark Few would have to make to figure out how to make all of these pieces work. All right, well, we are closing out the show today looking at Vani Ejim, who is making a name for herself on the Team Canada Olympic circuit. More coming up on that right after this. All right, segment three here, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. We are switching away from talking about Julian Strother and Grant Nelson on the men's side to talk about Vani Ejim, Yvonne Ejim, who was named the Toyota Canada Player of the Week for the week of May 22nd through 28th in Canada. There's a men's 
player of the week and a women's player of the week. Thomas Scrub was the winner on the men's side. Ejim was the winner on the women's side. There was a nice little press release from the Team Canada website talking about why each player was selected for Vani. Uh, she's with the senior women's national team at training camp, which is a huge deal. She's currently listed, if you look at the rosters on their website, she's listed on the U23 roster, uh, which participated in an event called Global Jam last year in Toronto. Uh, and she was on that roster, but she is currently with the senior women's national team during training camp uh, and reportedly looked excellent. There's no statistics to back up her performance as the Toyota Canada Player of the Week. They did not give us any data indicating why she earned that, but obviously they would not have picked her if she had not been impressing people in camp. Canada has their first exhibition game against Japan on Friday in Victoria, BC. I'll be very interested to see if Ejim plays much at all, little, a lot in that event, because right now she's competing to be a legitimate Olympian for this team, like not just U23, not just participating in junior events or FIBA events or whatever, like a straight up Olympian. I'm not sure she's going to get there by the time the Olympics roll around next year. We'll find out. But getting named player of the week and impressing everybody at the senior women's national team camp is a darn good start for Miss Egypt. Very excited for her. She could become the next in a very long line of Gonzaga basketball players who have represented Canada in the Olympics. Uh, Kelly Olinick has been a, a, a big part of Canada basketball for the last decade. Plus Kevin Pangos, of course, when he has been healthy, has been a big part as well. Kyle Wilcher has participated in the past. Uh, Brandon Clark and Andrew Nempart are both able to participate with Team Canada. Clark has never really had a lot of connection to his Canadian roots, so I don't know that he's somebody who's going to participate. Nembhard, I think, could very easily be somebody who participates last year he didn't quite make the cut but after such a tremendous rookie season i think it's very possible that we see nembhard assuming he wants to and that's part of the equation you have to want to be involved uh in your uh, country in your home country's olympic processes but if nembhard wants to be involved i think that they're going to take him with open arms especially after what he did last year so we're continuing to see this pipeline of Gonzaga basketball players who are from Canada succeeding, not just at Gonzaga, not just in the professional rankings, but in representing their country uh, on the world stage. And I think that's extremely cool. I think it's awesome to see Vani, who was one of the best mid-major players in all of college basketball last year. She almost won the Becky Hammond award, which is given to the best mid-major player. She averaged just under 17 points a game last year. She's coming back. And this women's team, we've talked about it a handful of times. For those of you who listened to the episode, uh, it was an interview with Callie Stokes, guard on the women's team. Uh, this was last Friday's episode. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. It was an awesome interview. It was so much fun to get a chance to talk to her and, and her experience being at the 3X Nationals, the three-on-three tournament, alongside Brenda Maxwell, alongside Esther Little, and alongside Yvonne Ejim. So another experience for her, uh, another feather in her cap, getting to put, participate in so many different tournaments and off-season events and getting to play with her teammates and getting to represent her country. And it's it's so cool to get to see these women's basketball players getting more opportunities to play with each other outside of the regular season, which Callie and I talked about how much that builds camaraderie, that builds trust, that builds communication. Uh, and even in a three-on-three tournament, learning how to how to play three-on-three basketball with your teammates only makes you better in a five-on-five setting. And that was a big part of our conversation. But for Vani, like getting to play with your teammates in that setting, getting to play with the best Canadian basketball players on the planet 
is a tremendous advantage for her as well. And, and you know, I mean, the Trung twins got to go to the Southeast Asian Games uh, and represent Vietnam in a three-on-three tournament. And we're continuing to see this women's team branch out, play in international tournaments, represent their home countries. They're going to go on this international trip to Greece and Montenegro this uh, this August. Like this team is doing so many things to expand their reach to a worldwide audience to help these players get a chance to play with each other and represent their home countries and to get better as basketball players individually and collectively as a team. Lisa Fortier has put together a tremendous roster of talented players from all over the world and has found ways to get them to not only jive with each other, but to continue to play with each other over the off season and continue to grow and develop and mature and get better as teammates, as players and it's, it's going to pay off. It's going to pay off. This is going to be a really good season for the Gonzaga women's basketball team. It's hard to not feel optimistic after they return just about everybody from last year's team after they get so much experience playing together over the offseason, getting better as individual basketball players. Yeah, the WCC is going to be a little weaker next year. Portland lost a whole bunch of transfers. BYU is not even in the conference anymore. So they're going to have to do some serious work in the non-conference in order to get respected and get a better seed when the, when by the time March Madness rolls around. But this is not a team that anybody's going to want to face in March. I can guarantee that with the amount of experience that this team has and the amount of camaraderie and overall just time spent playing together, not just on the basketball court for Gonzaga, but outside of that in the various settings that they have played, this is not a team that anybody's going to want to play in March. I'm very excited to see how this season goes for 48 and the women's basketball team. All right, that is going to wrap us up for today. Don't forget to check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast if you have not done so yet. Go hit that subscribe button on YouTube for both Locked On Zags and Locked On College Basketball. It takes 10 seconds. It's a big favor to me, your favorite podcast host. You can also find the show wherever you get your podcast. You can leave a review on iTunes. You can hit me with a follow on Twitter. We're going to come back later this week with updates on Anton Watson, updates on Malachi Smith, more on Gonzaga's potential uh, quest to join the Big 12 Conference. All that coming later this week. For now, though, as always, go Zags.